What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Top Rope Nation. I am your host, Ryan Drosty, and got a little something different for you this week. There's no Justin or Kyle on the program. We're shaking things up a little bit. Got an interview. First time in a couple of months that we've actually had an interview on the show. And so with that in mind, we've got a very special guest. As you can see, if you're watching the video version of the podcast, now residing in the great state of Iowa, by way of Maryland, one of the brightest young stars on the independent wrestling scene, the good witch herself, Kaya McKenna. Appreciate you being here today. How are you doing, Kaya? You know, I'm doing really good, Ryan. I appreciate you having me on today to talk a little bit of wrestling. It'll be a good time. Yeah, I appreciate it too. I mean, you are a, you're not just a wrestler, you're a massive fan. You know, you've oh, done yeah. a lot. I mean, you do you podcasting too. You've been on some other podcasts, or like some of the biggest fans that write and cover the industry and stuff. I mean, we're going to, we're going to get into all of that for sure. And plus, of course, your career, you're coming off a, a shoulder injury, just getting back into the swing of things. And, you know, I, st- I started hearing your name a little over a year ago, I would say. I mean, you're really starting to turn some heads on the independent scene. And then the injury, unfortunately, happened. Um, you know, you're in Iowa because, you know, as our listeners know, I'm in Iowa. Justin, my co-host, he's in Iowa as well. Uh, you're here because you were trained at Black and Brave by Merrick Brave and Seth Rollins. And so we're going to get into all that. Well, let's just start at the beginning. So mentioning you're a true student of the game, clearly a longtime fan. How, how did this all start for you? How were you introduced to pro wrestling? Uh, I just, it was always on the TV when I was growing up. Uh, my family were wrestling fans. My dad, my grandmother, my mom, like my brother, we all would watch it together. We'd watch it Mondays. We'd eat dinner on the couch and watch wrestling, like as American as it can be, right? <laughs> like, yes. So I just, I was always around it and I always loved it. I just, you know, obviously wrestlers are like superheroes to an extent. Right? It's like, like heroes and villains and like you get to see these storylines and it's, to me, I always like I enjoyed the athleticism and like, I obviously enjoyed like the ass kicking and wrestling, but I also very much enjoyed becoming invested in the little various stories they were trying to tell as the months and years and days went on. And I just thought it was so cool. It was just such like, an escapist thing. And like as a child, it's so easy to get invested in these larger than life characters and personalities. Yeah, 100 percent. Do you have like a, a first event that you remember watching or like earliest memory as a fan watching? I guess, like, like I said, it was on in my house like every week. So it's like for as far back as I can remember, I remember watching Monday Night Raw. I remember watching, like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. And then as I got a little bit older, watching like The Rock and Stone Cold. And mm-hmm. then as a teenager, oh God, I'm dating myself here a little bit into the Ruthless Aggression era. I remember watching ECW TV, watching WCW as well growing up. So it was just, it just started snowballing. And then as I became a teenager and I had access to technology, I got more involved in independent wrestling. And I think like the first gateway into that was NWA TNA. And then I was like, oh, who are these guys? They're really great. And then from there, it's like, oh, here's Ring of Honor. And then from there, it's like, oh, here's IWA. And then it's like, oh man, and then, you know, here's like Wild Side and like all these independent promotions at the time that I then started becoming invested in and watching. And it just, it snowballed from there. And it's just, you keep diving deeper and deeper and deeper. And as you delve more, you start finding more awesome, special things to really enjoy about the sport. Yeah. Now you mentioned like coming of age as a teenager during that period, that was a great period to be really diving in deep in wrestling. You know, like I was tape trading, I think around that period, but there was so (laughs) many independent promotions that you were starting to become aware of, like all over the country. And like so many of the big names today were just getting their start at that time for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, um, for sure. I remember like, you know, YouTube, oh God, YouTube wasn't a thing as so I was like well into high school. So like you would hear about, you would follow, like there'd be like these blogs or these message boards that would post results from like the independent shows that were running. You could be like, oh, FIP show runs in Florida and here's the results. And like, but you wouldn't see anything from that show unless like somebody took a picture and posted it because yeah. there was no way to like share footage. So you would like hope that somebody had a tape or if it was like Ring of Honor or somebody like IWA was making DVDs, you could like 
order DVDs and you would just wait. Like I remember riding my bike to the mailbox, like, Oh my God, it's the next ring up on it. Like, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And it's certainly something like, I love that technology has made all of this content so much more accessible. Like the fact that you can just have a Google drive and watch whatever the hell you want is incredible. And I think that it's great that that content can get into people's hands so easily. But I do remember the struggle of being an independent wrestling fan (laughs) in the mid two (laughs) thousands. I remember like OVW had a tape by mail program. Like mm-hmm. this is when Orton and Lesnar were there and stuff. Do you remember that? Like you yeah. could subscribe to get their tapes from their website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was a great time. And yeah, it's even easier now. I mean, you can see stuff from around the world live. Like I could have never imagined that when I was a teenager, YouTube even, I mean, it's crazy. No, not at all. Like, and even like the, now all of that stuff is starting to be like archived on IWTV and stuff. Like the other day we were, there were some uh, some newer students out here, and I was like, oh, let's watch the Ted Petty Invitational from 2004 because it's so good. There's so many good matches. Like that Austin yeah. Aries CM Punk match is so great. And then like that absolute war like Eric Cannon had with Super Dragon. It's There's so many incredible displays of wrestling in that tournament. And it's like, oh, these kids didn't even know this existed. And like, <laughs> like oh, man. like And then watching like Chris Hero and all his holds and like how every match was so different but so special. And yep. I just, I love like being able to introduce people to that, but I also love how easy it is to do these days too. It's like, oh, we don't have to have a VCR or anything or a, DVD, <laughs> yeah, a no portable kidding. DVD player. Like <laughs> you just, oh, it's on IWTV. This is perfect. But interestingly enough, um, when I travel with the GCW crew, so it's like typically like myself, uh, Tony Deppin, Manders, MLJ, Adam Galt, Yoya, Emil actually has a portable DVD player and we will like watch DVDs in the car nice. or like in the hotel rooms. <laughs> nice. It's like so throwback it's, the tradition is still going strong. Yeah. Is that, I guess I'm assuming that's what people did when they would travel because nobody had like iPhones with YouTube. So it's like you're sitting in the back of these cars trying to make these towns. It's yep. like if you were lucky, maybe one of your rich friends had a portable <laughs> DVD player and you all weren't like yeah. bored, bored to death in the back seat maybe. We got one of those when I was a kid, like late in our family vacation era when I'm I, like, I was in high school, but like they were starting to put out the compilation DVDs. And I remember yeah. I would pick out a handful of them to take. And then I would have to like fight my brother and sister for the portable DVD player in the car on our 10 hour road trip just to watch, you know, <laughs> Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels matches and stuff. <laughs> so you're like, you've it. already seen this 10 times. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah. let's watch it 11 times. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So, I mean, so you're talking about introducing some of the younger wrestlers to some of this old footage when you were in school. So like when you were in high school or even before that, were your friends fans or were you able to convert them to fans? Like, did you have a group of Dude, friends no. who watched wrestling I, at all? I had the misfortune of growing up in the period where like people still thought wrestling was stupid. Like yeah. there was, there was a like the nineties, it was hot, hot, hot. Like I remember mm-hmm. going to elementary and grade school in my stone cold Steve Austin shirt and being like the coolest kid on the block. And then there was something where people just stopped thinking wrestling was cool for a very, very long time. So it wasn't until I like got to college and I met some other people that were like super into wrestling and we would go to like ring of honor shows and stuff like just road trip it. Cause obviously like being from Maryland, like, you know, Philadelphia, Baltimore, like Manassas, all those shows were quite accessible to us. So yeah, but I did. Sure. Yeah. Like when I was in high school, like I was the weird kid, like, oh, you like wrestling? Like, oh, what? You're weird. Like, get <laughs> out of here. Like, nobody likes that shit. It's fake. And it's like, ah, yeah, just rage. <laughs> uh huh. I get I get it. I was like the I was in high school when the Attitude Era hit. So then it was like all the kids that never touched wrestling were getting into it. It was like, where yeah. were you? couple years ago you know it's like when your favorite band blows up and you're like you guys weren't around when this was cool now all of a sudden now you think it's cool so you're around or whatever you know but but i've never like i've never been one of those people where i've been like upset about that like i think that if somebody can discover something at any point in their life and grow an appreciation for it like that's wonderful and we should definitely not ostracize people for being late to the party like uh, when we just had like, what was it the 17th anniversary of Joe and Kobashi? And I saw like mm-hmm. on Twitter that there's like all of these newer wrestlers, like maybe younger, just people that are new to wrestling that aren't necessarily young that had not seen that match. And like it was back in the mainstream on the timeline and like people were getting to see that match for the first time. And like they were so appreciative. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like, it's fine that you didn't see this when it originally happened, but because you can appreciate it now. And yeah. I love that technology has made us able to do that. Like if you missed something the first time around, it's not the end of the world. It's never too late to appreciate those things. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent agree. I'm, for me, it was like, I'm going to try to keep these people around. <laughs> and some of them stayed <laughs> as wrestling fans. Some of them, you know, they got out of it, 
But I find like for me, of the people I grew up with, the ones that I still keep in contact with are the ones I watch wrestling with. It's so weird. It's like the <laughs> wrestling fandom binds you together. Do you find that with like your college friends that you used to travel with to ROH and stuff that those are kind of like your tight knit friends still? Or are you keeping contact? Uh, somewhat. I mean, these days between like my actual day job, my Clark Kent job and my wrestling job, I don't usually see a lot of those people because I'm just traveling all the time and I'm very busy. But yeah, I do try to stay in touch with a lot of them. Um, but people always come in and out of your life, right? Like, I don't know if you have friends like I do, but I have like people I've been friends with like 15 years that I will not talk to for six months. And then like, they'll just message me out of the blue and it'll we'll pick it right back up. Like we never stop talking. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like that situation. But I feel like those are the people that really do value you because it's like, they don't feel like they need to make a constant effort. Like they're not, you're, yeah. they know you're not going to forget about them if, if life happens. Right. Yeah. So Sort of. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of cool because the more I got involved in wrestling and then starting to partake in wrestling myself, um, I've made a whole bunch of other friends that are like interested on the level that I am. So it's, it's cool to be around like, like-minded people that mm-hmm. really love it. Like I do. They want to trade tape still. I saw you posted the tweet the other day, right? You got the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you had like the Sasuke, uh, VHS that you got the other day. Uh, Liger, yeah, that Steve Williams too. Misawa match is, is super sick. It's on YouTube, but like to get to watch it on a VCR is a whole like it's like a religious <laughs> experience. You know, <laughs> just you can't let the VHS tapes go. I mean, I still have a box of them in my closet too. I'm like, I don't ever want to. We were we were at the the bar and we had a DVD or not DVD a VCR player. And it was like trying to hook it up. It's like, does the TV is the TV too new? Like, yeah, no kidding. I think VCRs are kind of valuable now, at least to get like a pretty high quality one. I've what I've seen. Oh, this was like one that um my friend Heather brought from her dad's basement. Like, (laughs) as long as it still works, right? It works, yeah. (laughs) So, when did you start thinking about wrestling then as a career? It was a little bit later on in my life. So, prior to professional wrestling, I did competitive Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and I did martial arts growing up. So, that's kind of always like the sport space that I was in. And I had an injury in 2012. I had to have surgery and I didn't necessarily go back to doing a lot of jujitsu training because I was busy with my career then. And it was like, I think it was like 20, 2017. I was at a SmackDown in Washington, DC with some friends and we were just like drinking beers and having a good old time. And my one friend was like, have you ever thought about doing this? Cause like, you know, you, you, you have the look and you have the background and you're athletic and like, you obviously love wrestling. Like you should do this. And I was like, Oh, why people do this shit? Like, I mean, I knew people did it, but you got to remember like when I was growing up and like, you had somebody like Shawn Michaels who felt like larger than life. Right. You're like, how does somebody even become a professional wrestler? So like, yeah. I was still very much in that like mindset, if that made sense. And that was the first time that it kind of hit me like, oh, wait, like I could actually do this. So I started helping out at small independent shows. I did did some ring crew just to kind of get to meet people. And then I started wrestling in the backyard, um, <laughs> which is great. Like um, anybody who's ever done any kind of backyard wrestling will tell you it's the most fun you will ever have because there is no pressure oh, yeah. and you're just out there having a good time with your friends. And and that's wonderful. It's a great it's a great experience. Um Nice. When done appropriately, I suppose. <laughs> right. But I then also hit the realization that like, oh, you know, if I really want to take this seriously and I want to really actively pursue professional wrestling, I need to go to wrestling college. Like this is not going to be enough sustenance to sustain me long term. Like I can get through it, but this is not where I want to be. I want to be good. And how do you be good? You go learn from the best. Right. So that's what kind of that's how I landed at Black and Brave. I was like, that is the best place you could go. Why not go there? That was my next question. What what brought you to Iowa? Like, why did why did you choose Black and Brave over all the other wrestling schools? But I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you got Seth Rollins there, of course. Merrick Brave had already made a name for himself. I mean, by 2017, yeah. I mean, Seth had already been world champion. So, uh, I guess, yeah. I mean, it's hard to choose a place that would be better than that. And I mean, they've got it a really pretty is. proven track record by by now. Sure. Well, and the other thing too is like being based on the East Coast, like there are obviously plenty of excellent training options out East as well. It's not like Black and Brave is the only place in the world you can learn wrestling. But I was kind of in this position where it was like, all right, so here's what I can do. I can go to wrestling school while I keep my job in Washington, D.C., and I'm going to have to get off work and I'm going to have to sit in three hours of traffic, four hours of traffic, one way to go train somewhere up in Philadelphia or Jersey or New York. And then I'm going to have to drive back through all that 
um, you know, DMV traffic to get back home. And then I'm maybe going to get a couple hours of sleep and then I have to go back to work the next day. And it's going to put so much wear and tear on my vehicle and the gas is going to be expensive and the tolls are going to be outrageous. And when I kind of crunched the numbers financially, I was like, I am going to spend just as much money trying to stay here locally and do this shit versus if I just took that money all at once, went to the best place possible for three months and got it done. And that was also like a huge driving up. That really drove my decision to go there as well. Not only because it was the best training accessible and available at the time, but because it made the most sense. Like it's, you know, okay, like I'm going to be spending this money either way, but if I spend it in this way, I not only get the best training, but I can get it in three months and I can hit the ground running and I can totally immerse myself in the environment instead of being distracted by constantly commuting and trying to maintain a job at the same time. Yeah, that makes sense. So you, so you trained and then you started working independence, you got hurt. Now you're back to Iowa. So did you move to Iowa for like three months and then you left and now you're back? Is that what happened? Yeah, I kind of, uh, I kind of come and go like, because okay. I think it's good. It's good. It's good to shake up your environment. Um, yeah. A lot of people in wrestling will get stuck where they are because they don't go anywhere different. But when you're moving, you're forcing yourself to be somewhere different and work different areas and different crowds and different people. So my 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 plan, like I'm a big planner. Like to me, like this is all like wrestling chess. Like how can I plan to be the most successful wrestler? So my my big plan here is I will go out east and I will wrestle in the east for three months. I will watch my matches back. I will take notes on what I need to improve. I come out here to the Midwest where I have access to the school every single day. And I go back and I tighten up where I need to tighten up. Like, what am I not doing right? What can I be doing better? Where can I get advice from my coaches? Because they're they're wonderful with that. They're so giving with their time. It's incredible. Like, how can I be better? And then I'll work a couple of dates in the Midwest so I get around different crowds and then I go back out east and I implement all the changes that I made. And I just kind of like went rinse, wash, repeat. So it's like this constant like evolution. And that's what it is to be a student of the game is to make the best use of those resources available to you and get and maximize it. Right. Like when you have somebody that you can go to like Merrick Brave or Seth Rollins and ask them for advice on wrestling, like why are you not maximizing this resource? You know, so yeah. to me, this is the best way to maximize that resource is to like go out, have my matches, have the experiences, learn from them and be like, how do I do it better? How do I go yeah. to the next level? Like, how do we, how do we shift gears? How do we, how do we take this to like where it's not just a wrestling match, but it's like that next level of entertainment and performance that just really will elevate you as a performer and elevate your career. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I think that that's a really good mindset. You've almost kind of like manifested the old territorial system, right? Like, cause you're yeah. keeping yourself fresh in different territories going back and forth that's a perfect way to do yeah, by it. the time you're everywhere. you're gone and by the time you come back people want to see you again because they're like oh i've not seen kaya in like three months this is great like you know yeah. it, it's, <laughs> that's actually a really smart absence, way to do it yeah absence makes the heart grow fonder perhaps exactly I don't know. one yeah. of those one of those things <laughs> so i mean you, you've kind of conveyed this but it sounds like your experience of black and brave was really good continues to be very good um you know, Merrick Brave, I think he's from when I talked to him, he's pretty much there all the time. How involved was Seth Rollins in your training? How I mean, like, often would you run into him there at the, at the school? He's there. He's totally there. I mean, unless like there's something in his schedule where he can't be here, like, oh, Saudi Arabia tour, like, obviously, you know, like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But he's here and he's definitely invested in the growth of his students. And I think that's really special because there are a lot of schools where the name is like associated, but they're never there. And mm -hmm. like, he's there. He probably sees more of all of us than he ever wanted to. <laughs> 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 but he's such a good sport and he's such a good coach. And we're all so very lucky to have him. And we're lucky to have Merrick too, because Merrick's like so great at what he does and just holding the fort down when there are times where it's like, oh, we have big tours or I'm not going to be here for a week or two. Like he, he's just like the rock, the anchor of that school that keeps it going. Like he's the heartbeat. He's the best. Yeah. He is, I mean, great storyteller too. You guys, listen, if you if you missed the interview I did with him, I think it was about two years ago. <laughs> check it out in our archives. Cheap plug. It was a, I mean, this guy told some awesome, hilarious stories about him and and uh, Tyler Black, Seth Rollins when they were first when they were first hitting the scene and some trouble they got into, and it it was a ton of fun talking to him. I'd like to get him. It back seems like working the independence in the mid two thousands was wild. Like yeah. that's every time I hear a story, I'm just like. Dang, yep. <laughs> it sounds like it was great. I mean, not that it's not fun now, but it seems like it might have actually <laughs> been more fun when they were doing it than when we we're doing it. 
He told this story. He told me it had never been told before. And I think it's on our YouTube channel. I think I cut it as a clip from the interview. But it was like the story of Seth Rollins' first concussion that he ever got. And he told this story like they're in this small town, I think, I think central Iowa. And Seth, got, you know, he was so loopy. And they went to this party afterwards. And all of a sudden, he like disappeared. And they're like, where did Seth go? And he like walked in these random girls' apartment, was trying to party with them. And they're like, who's this weird guy? And he didn't even like remember <laughs> that this happened. Because well, that's like the us. crazy thing. Like when you get a concussion is like you don't remember chunks of yeah. things. Like I like remember I got a concussion in a match once. And like, I could not, like, I know the finish was an ankle lock. Like, I, <laughs> but I got through them. And then like, I don't remember leaving the venue. And I drove from Jersey, which is scary as shit to think. Cause like, you don't ever think you have wow. a concussion when you have one. You're just like, oh yeah, blah, blah, whatever. Yeah. And like, I remember going into a Wawa in Baltimore and getting a Red Bull and mixing it with like, of vitamin water for some reason like that was a good idea sounds awful <laughs> and then like i got home and then i like i threw up as soon as i got home and i was like oh man i have a concussion but like i like don't remember like hopefully oh, nothing crazy happened i don't remember <laughs> like i really don't so, like i i like totally like empathize with him there like oh, i get it God. it's like you don't like sometimes you have no <laughs> recollection and wow. it comes and goes like you'll remember bits and pieces yeah so you Obviously, you mentioned you have a shoot job still, you know, your Clark Kent job, as you mentioned. So going from that world, getting concussed, then going over <laughs> to your your day job has got to be quite the experience. Um, I mean, so do your do your coworkers know much about your wrestling gig? Have they ever come out to watch your matches? Is Are you like literally like Superman and nobody knows Clark Kent is Superman? Like what's going on there at work for you? It's so hard to like actually be Superman with social media these days. Like if people True, want yeah. to find something out about you, they can find it. They can dig it out. So obviously it it comes up and I have, I am fortunate that I have coworkers that think that it's very cool. And um, hopefully when I'm wrestling in Washington DC in November, they come out and support me. I think they will. Um, nice. I'm lucky that I have that support system from all angles. I'm starting to realize that's something that's rare in wrestling is that people have a good support system for it. Like so many people's parents are like, why are you doing this shit? Or like their mm -hmm. friends are like, grow up or like, you know, their, their spouse or their partner is like, I can't like, what is wrong with you? You know, <laughs> like, right. yeah. why? But I always feel so fortunate that like my work is cool with it. Like my, my mom and my dad are super supportive. Like, I have good friends in wrestling that support me. My friends that are not directly involved in wrestling still come out and support me. Like I have a friend who's going to come support me in Chicago in a couple of weeks and I'm so excited. So it's really nice. And I'm starting to like, I've always appreciated that, but I'm really starting to appreciate it more. The more I hear more stories from people about how their parents were like so reluctant or like they've lost so much in their life because of wrestling. And it's like, Oh, uh, well, not that I don't relate to that, but I'm really lucky. My parents think yeah. it's cool. So, you know, it's something that I would never take for granted. And, and not even like that, just like the fans, right? Like, so I started wrestling during a pandemic and like, I couldn't go have matches right away. So I mm -hmm. just started like, I was like, okay, well, how do I put myself out there? I just started like engaging with people on social media and like making sure I would talk to like, even when I was doing ring crew, like talk to the fans and stuff. And like, it's so nice because like, it's nice because I have people that like always come say hi to me, whether I'm actually wrestling that day or if I'm just setting up chairs. So it's like, I feel like I have the best fans in the world that have been just so supportive of me. And they've like watched me grow from this little witchy to this big, powerful goddess. It's <laughs> awesome. I love, I know people are like, oh, I, I love my fans. I love my fans. But like, I really, I do. I really do. I love my fans. And I love that some of these fans have even become friends to me. Like, yeah. and just to have their support means the world, like to have these actual relationships that are not just purely aesthetic <laughs> online. No, I mean, it, it comes through on your social media for sure. Like you're very approachable, you know, like we followed each other on Twitter for a while and I was like, you know, I need to book an interview. I haven't done an interview on the pod in a while. And you were like the first person I reached out to. So I'm like, yeah, she seems very, you know, approachable about an interview and worked oh, yeah. out. So yeah, I appreciate that. I'm sure all your fans appreciate it for sure. And, you know, learning to wrestle and having your first matches during a pandemic. I mean, talk about a challenging time. I mean, like, could oh, my God. So, like, obviously, when you time? first start wrestling, like, you're not very good. Like, nobody's very good. And yeah. sometimes if you get the luxury of having a crowd, like, they feel bad for you. So they're like, oh, uh, 
<laughs> like, yeah. oh, we, yeah. yeah, you you go. But <laughs> my first string of matches were in front of other wrestlers. And that's a tough crowd. Intimidating. It's yeah. like, why are you here? Like, what, what? Like, they're not going to react for you the way a crowd is. Like, you can't work workers in that sense. So it's like, I've had so many matches right out the bat that were like dead silent. And that was really hard for me as a performer because it's like, how do I gauge if what I'm doing is working? Like, I don't have a real crowd reaction to go off of. All I have mm-hmm. are these other people who do wrestling who are not going to react like fans just because they're wrestlers. They're not, they're not thinking of it like that. So it was such a challenge. And I felt like I really, when I finally got the opportunity to work in front of some crowds, like that's when wrestling became fun for me. And I got to like actually see like everything, all the parts in motion, because like you go to wrestling school and they teach you and then you go to put into motion. And it's like, this is not the sample of people I need to be putting this into practice in front of. And that's not like everybody was so supportive. Like, I think that there were a lot of tapings and stuff during the pandemic where like other wrestlers portrayed the crowd and were very good about like clapping for the faces and doing the heels. But it's just like, it's not the same as like fans and not getting that experience right out the gate was like very daunting and like very scary because I had a lot of self doubt because of it. Cause I was like, Oh man, that was so quiet. Like mm-hmm. I know I'm new, but <laughs> I don't, you know, like it really, yeah. it rattled my confidence to an extent. And I had to like put myself out there in different places and actually take those opportunities to be in front of crowds when they became an option to, to mm-hmm. regain that confidence in my ability. Like it was very, very scary. Like, you know, it's like, you're all excited to wrestle and then it's like, Oh no crowd. And then it's like, Oh, okay. We're like, right. Oh, there's a crowd, but there are other wrestlers. And it's like, Oh, okay. You know, so <laughs> yeah. it's, it was very interesting to come up in that time. But I think that because of that time, being when I had my first few matches, it made me appreciate my fans so much more and the people mm-hmm. that were behind me from day one. I mean, I don't think it's yeah hyperbole to say as far as like learning to wrestle and then having your first matches, that's probably one of the hardest periods ever to learn to become a professional wrestler. I like right when the pandemic started, um, I was covering wrestling for comicbook.com at that time, and they had me doing a lot of interviews and I talked to several WWE people and I always asked them, so like, what's it like wrestling in the Thunderdome, you know, like without a crowd there. And I remember Edge told me it was like the hardest thing he'd ever done in wrestling. And this is a guy who'd been wrestling for 20 years. So for you to be like brand new to the business and not have a real crowd there and to be trying to learn your timing and how to gauge like, you know, make the uh, the audience react emotionally to a match. And there's not really a real audience there. Like how trying to learn your craft during that period would be quite the challenge. It is. And it's like, you know, I think as any creative person, I mean, because I work in creative, I work in art outside of wrestling. So it's like I've I've confronted this in in that space as well, is there's always like this small little like overhanging, looming shadow of self-doubt when you're any kind of creative individual. Like you kind of are in this constant state of flux between having all the confidence in the world and thinking you're the worst fucking wrestler or (laughs) artist or musician or whatever Mm -hmm. that has ever existed. And it can really beat you down and it can be very, very hard. So whenever I have days where I I feel like my confidence is rattled for whatever reason, whether it be like, oh, I just had my second match ever in front of a bunch of wrestlers who didn't cheer for me or or just even like shortcomings, right? Like in your training or like in your gym routine, whenever you have those shortcomings and you have those moments of self-doubt, it's so important to like reflect upon that and think of all the things that you do excel at and use that like, not run on spite. I'm not saying run on spite, but I'm saying like use that as like a motivating factor to continue to get better instead of dwelling on it. Um, Mm -hmm. Learn how to temper that into something that is productive and beneficial to you. So you're learning the craft and then you got to develop a character. And I mentioned at the very top, the good witch, you know, this is the character, but the thing that makes it really good for you is it's not so much a character as it's more like an extension of yourself, right? Like we always hear, the best wrestlers have like a gimmick that's themselves turned up a notch. That's what they always say. And, you know, so for those listening at home, what's it mean to be a witch in the world of Kaya McKenna? 
and tell us about the family history here. Cause it's not like the stereotypical thing, you know, it's almost Halloween, you know, as we record yeah. this now, you're not out there like <laughs> riding spooky. a broomstick or anything like that, but no. like, it is a very real thing that your family's been connected to. And it makes sense for your wrestling character. It meshes perfectly. So tell the listeners what that's about. Uh, long story short, like I just grew up in a family of witches. Like my aunt was like a high priestess. So it was something I was around from a very young age and just like, that empowerment of the spirituality and like the empowerment of the divine feminine is something that's always been very special and important to me. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of, a lot of our practice is surrounds worshiping the moon goddesses. Um, it surrounds directing energy and how to best utilize energy and manifestation and that sort of practice, right? There's so many different denominations of witches mm -hmm. out there who practice varying different things. And the thing that's really cool about it is there's no actual like right or wrong way to be a witch. Like there are a lot of people that have opinions on it, but my opinion is this, if you find a practice that works for you, no matter what the makeup is, that's what you should do. And you should embrace it fully and wholly. Anyways, all that aside, because I was a real witch, I was like, what if I was a witch that was a wrestler, but I wasn't like your stereotypical, like Halloween hot topic, like maybe satanic witch, right? Yeah. That a lot of people yeah. portray. And I was like, what if I was like, just this like very like nice, ethereal, like almost like Stevie Nicks inspired character that was a witch and kind of showed people this side of being a gray witch or being a white witch and like having a little bit more of like this this softness to it that wasn't like scary and evil, you know, it was like more realistic. Like most, most people who practice magic are just normal everyday people. They're not like, you know, big spooky, scary people. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the things that kind of was like, well, maybe I can really make this into a cool character and it'll be great because it's me. Like, I don't ever feel like I'm acting. Like even when I go to the ring and I hit like my goddess pose, like that is how we draw energy in from the moon. Like it's not bullshit. It's a real thing. It's not like I'm just doing, doing this with my hands because it looks cool and it gets over. It's, it's, I'm doing this because that is how we draw the energy from the moon mother. You know, so it, there's a, an element of realism that's not acting that I think makes it very relatable. Mm. And yeah, it's like, that's that's why the best characters are always a piece of you. Um, you're not acting. You're not trying to pretend to be something you're not. You're just being yourself. I'm just being myself. It's just turned up a little bit. So it like, yeah. looks better from like the theatrical standpoint, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's very cool. I like that. Now, you yes. did actually actually buy a broom, though, at one point. I did hear on one of your interviews, I believe. Is that correct? I did not buy a broom. I made a broom. Oh, you made a broom. Made a broom. There you go. You sweep away the positive. The, the you sweep away the negative energy, and then okay. Alicia Edwards kicked it into the crowd and destroyed it. She's, <laughs> she's a jerk, but <laughs> but um yes, I did. I did make a broom. Um, and that's like something like like a lot of witches have brooms. Like maybe not for riding on through the sky, but it does serve a spiritual purpose to have a broom. Yeah. Um, to nice. keep the energy clean and good in your house. Very cool. So I figured I could bring some good energy to the ring with it. Yeah. And it was, very, it was a very pretty, very cute broom. Um, I was, I flew in for that show. So I didn't like have any of my usual like witchy props like that I would bring. I was sometimes like when the matches are big or it's a bigger show, I try to think of something really, really super cool to do. Like I'm sure you've seen me pour the ring of salt around the ring. That's like a gift that goes around or mm -hmm. I've written sigils on the ring posts. I, I brought a cauldron to one match one time, which was really cool. Yeah. So like I was trying to think of what I could do, what I could do, what I could do. And I took a walk and I was like, oh, I should just make a broom. I went to Home Goods. I found everything for that broom in Home Goods that day. I walked across the street from my hotel, bought it all, took it back up to the hotel room and just kind of sat on the floor and made a broom for the match just because I thought it would wow. be really, really cool. And I gave it to a fan after the match. So that's I was awesome. like, here's a little, uh, little, uh, gift. You know, people take a piece of a door or a piece of a table, like, Oh no, here's a nice little wholesome witchy broom. You can put it under your bed and it'll keep away your bad dreams. Yeah, there you you know? Perfect. <laughs> so yeah, that's how it just, it hit me. I was like, Oh, I haven't done this yet. And then I was like, I wonder if I can find something and Oh my God, that poor hotel room. Like, cause I used a lot of like real dried herbs and dried flowers when I made the actual like broom part of the broom. And that, that shit just got all over the place. So they probably went to clean that room. They were like, what happened? Like, <laughs> You're what like checking happened? your credit card statement. Did they yeah. upcharge me for cleaning here or what's going on? Yeah. I mean, I guarantee you that's probably not the worst thing they've seen in a hotel yeah. room. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but maybe the most unique. Like, oh, yeah. there were witches in here making brooms? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, remember that room last week? It could have been worse. Let's just move on. It could have been worse. <laughs> yeah. 
Nice. All right. So you wrestle SCW, which is the home promotion of Black and Brave, you know, here yes. and there. And oh, my God. They've you... been 20 years almost. 20 yeah. years they've been running. That's incredible. It's crazy. That's 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 very good. You know, like when I grew growing up in Iowa, there wasn't that many independent promotions here. So I think that that's really cool, especially for the younger fans in Southeast Iowa, that they get to see you guys run shows. Uh, you run some cool locations, too. You know, like when you're in Iowa City and I mean, you're all over yeah. the place, bigger cities, smaller cities. Um, you've also worked GCW. You mentioned Beyond Wrestling, AAW, Chicago, AEW, um, several AAU others. Witch. AAU yeah. Witch. <laughs> Is that a thing? Hashtag? That's, that sounds Marketing? like merchandising. Yeah. There yeah. Go. Well, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have like an overall favorite area to work in? I mean, like, could you even pick? I'm sure you enjoy working everywhere, uh, but do you have like well, a favorite venue? Or... Yeah. Jersey's home. Um, I do like wrestling in that area just because like that's where I paid a lot of my dues with GCW. So I know a lot of the fans in general in that area, no matter mm -hmm. what promotion you go to, because Jersey is a small state. So everything's like 45 minutes to an hour apart. But I just that crowd just feels like home. And I know there are a lot of people that will go, oh my God, I, I hate wrestling in New Jersey. I hate wrestling in Philadelphia. The fans are tough and they are, but that's just because they, they want you to do well and they have a very high standard. Um, and it was really cool because when I got to do AEW before I was injured, it was in New Jersey at the Prudential Center and I was the first match on Elevation and I'm standing in the ring and also, you know, quick little segue here. The coolest part of doing that was that Paul Turner was my referee for that match. And I'm like, obviously being a huge Ring of Honor fan, like that was the highlight of my yeah. day. <laughs> yes, for sure. But back to the story, I'm just standing in the ring waiting for, you know, the load in or whatever. And I'm looking around and like, I see a bunch of people that I've known from shows I've worked in Jersey, from people I've worked ring crew with to like GCW regulars, like I actually see people I know in those first three or four rows because you can't see anything past that. But like those first couple of rows, you can still make people out. And I'm like, I'm nervous as hell. And I look over and, you know, there's a there's a fan mittens in the Northeast and he's like the best fan ever. Like he supports all the people he likes to the grave. And I look over and he sees me and I see mittens and he's like, Kaya. And I'm like, <laughs> Mittens! And I'm like, it's okay. It's cool. It's cool. Mittens is here. I got the worst match ever. It's going to be fine because Mittens is here. He's going to cheer for me. Everything's going to be great. And just seeing those hometown area fans is just the best for me. Like Maryland itself doesn't have a whole lot of wrestling. So I've, I've had a lot of my beginning matches up in the New Jersey area. Okay. So those are like my people, right? Like I, yeah. I just, it was so cool to see all of them there supporting me. Like I was That's not awesome. expecting it. So especially not at that level, right? Like, you know, yeah. big TV. And yeah. lo and behold, I like look over and I'm like, oh, this it's going to be OK, you know. So yeah. I, I love when I get to wrestle in that area because I just those are the people that have kind of been my day wanters, you mm -hmm. know. Yeah, makes sense. But I've also yeah. like I have a whole new appreciation for like getting to work in Chicago. Like AAW has such good fans, too. Like I recently mm -hmm. was at their last show just kind of helping out since I'm cleared now. And it was just so nice to see a bunch of people there that I have not seen in almost nine months because of my injury. And yeah that I kind of have like a second home in the Midwest now, I guess from doing all the back and forth travel, right? Working so like I, I love, yep. yeah, I love when I get to do AAW and I get to be around their fans as well, because they are also very, very supportive and encouraging of a good witch. <laughs> you, so that match in New Jersey for AEW, you worked Thunder Rosa and I, I mean, did. talk about, talk about a uh, great opportunity so early yes. in your career. You're, you're what, like a year into your career? At oh that my point? God, not even. Oh, Less than a year. When did I start? Yeah, I think I was like nine months. Okay. Yeah, it was not. Wow. <laughs> like, I don't count the time I sat on my ass during the pandemic toward my right. career. So, yeah. so like, um, you, how did that opportunity yeah. even come about? How did you get the opportunity? I mean, what was it like? How were the I got an email to come do some extra work, and I took it because even though I knew I was very new, I was like, well, somebody else would take it. They wouldn't sit there and be like, oh, I'm not ready for this. Like anybody else would take it. So you need to take it. And I was like, yeah, take it. So I went and I was like, let me go do it. Let me see what it's all about. You know, obviously there's a bunch of people, you know, from the Indies there. And, and it was really cool because there were, they had signed a lot of people from that area. So like there were people there that I knew from working the various Indies in the Northeast. So it wasn't like as maybe daunting as going to do extra work at WWE per se. Right. Um, 
but yeah, I just, you know, you get there, you go through their whole rigmarole, you look at the board to see if you have a match. And I was like, oh, Thunder Rosa, this is awesome, you know, because she's such um, a prominent figure in women's wrestling, right? And she's mm-hmm. done so much for women's wrestling in such a short period of time. So I was like, this will be such a great experience. And it was. She's very intense. But I felt like once I had that match, I learned so much in those four minutes. And it just totally changed my perspective on wrestling moving forward. Like, it, mm-hmm. it definitely forced me to grow as a performer, in a good way. So for that, I am forever grateful that I got that opportunity with her. Very cool. Yeah. Check it out on their YouTube channel. You guys can find that. I watched it. I saw it at the time. Then I watched it back preparing for this interview, of course. And yeah, very cool. So you're on the rise. You have that. You're feeling really good. And then you get this shoulder injury and Mm. wasn't long after that, right? Just what? A couple of months, December, December 3rd. 2021 (laughs) did did that happen like in a singular match or was it something that like built up over time no i was in a scramble and i just popped my shoulder out on a move Mm. and that was it um now anybody who's dislocated their shoulder before you can have it pop out and immediately pop back in because i have done that before prior with just sports injuries and whatnot Mm. but after it happened in the match i was like "Uh uh-oh that's not good. Cause like, you know what it feels like? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. eh. and I'm like, okay. I was like, maybe I was like, I'm just going to hit the Samoa drop real quick and see if I can pop it back in when I bump. <laughs> that was not oh necessarily God. the best idea because oh, it did not geez. go back in and hurt very badly. <laughs> but, um, at that point, you know, you just, you take yourself out of the match because the safety of everybody involved supersedes your need to actually like power through shit sometimes. Like if my shoulder would have popped back in, I probably would have finished the match because I could move my arm and be safe. But when your arm's out and it's not going back in, I can't safely perform and I don't want to hurt another person because to me, that's that would be awful. So I'm just like, oh yeah, hey, I'm, I'm out, you know, roll out, whatever. Turns out like, okay, I tore my labrum completely, but I actually like, you know how your shoulder's like a ball and socket joint and like the top of your shoulder's like a little ball. Mm-hmm. So there was like a chunk like of bone that broke off out of that ball in the top of my humerus. And I like my, my shoulder just would like plop out. Like there was nothing to catch and hold it in place, especially with like no labrum. Like it was just, so I, that's why the recovery was so long. Cause a lot of people will have like a labrum surgery and they're back in like three or four months. And that's, that's that. But like they had to use part of my rotator cuff to patch that hole because bone does not regenerate. And it kind of looked like a little Pac-Man. Like there was like a little chunk just missing. Oh my gosh. It's so gnarly. Wow. <laughs> it's wild. But um, uh, that's why the recovery was so long was just we really wanted to make sure that that repair held and it was safe and secure and ready for me to return to wrestling. And I've had zero problems. In fact, I've had a lot of like interesting like revelations since returning to the ring of things that I thought were normal that were not. Um like when you chop somebody, I used to, cause my shoulder was so loose from multiple dislocations previously. I used to think, oh, when I chop somebody, my shoulder pops in and out a little bit. And that's just how it is. Cause you're hitting them so hard. <laughs> that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> and I did not realize that until I returned to the ring and started laying chops in on my opponents. And I was like, oh man, I got more torque. My arm stays in. Is this what it's supposed to be like? Like (laughs) it's, you just get so used to like working around injuries or getting used to like finding or just accepting, you know, until it's fixed, you don't realize. So like, I know that's like so crazy. So you're like, how would you not think that that was normal? And it's like, well, I, you know, I didn't know any better because that's just how it always was. And, um, so yeah, like just even those experiences, like where I didn't realize I maybe had like not an injury, but a little bit of instability that was affecting me as a performer prior to the injury. You know, sometimes yeah. I think things happen, like injuries suck, but I'm obviously in a better place now and I'm more intact and reassembled and ready to kick ass. Yeah. So maybe maybe it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise to just kind of get, get where I need to be and, you know, take some time away and have a little bit of a perspective change. Yeah. And I mean, you being such a student of the game, I mean, when you're rehabbing and you you had the surgery and you're rehabbing and everything and you're working your way back to the business, then you had plenty of time to deep dive on wrestling tapes. Oh, I was angry. The first three months after (laughs) surgery, I was so mad I couldn't wrestle. I didn't watch any wrestling. Oh, yeah. I was mad. I was mad as hell. 
Yeah. And then I finally started watching tape again and I found that I really, really liked it more than I did previously. In some way, shape or form, I got horrifically injured and fell even more in love with wrestling. (laughs) That does not make sense, right? Most people would be like, I'm done. But I started, when I did start watching tape, when I was recovering from my injury, because I could not be in a ring for like seven months solid, like not even rolling. Like they did not want me doing anything but my physical therapy, like multiple times a week. So I would just watch a lot of tape and iPhones are super great. Technology is great because you watch all this tape and you're like, oh, that was really sick. I like that. You can screen record it. You can clip it down. And then I have a digital notebook on my phone that I put all of that stuff in. So like I just started compiling like all of like things I want to do when I come back or like things that I want to try or like stuff that I saw that was really awesome. And I just have like this huge digital notebook on my iPhone of like clips from all the tape I've watched. So that was something I started doing and like putting a lot of energy into that I think paid off for me in droves. And I think it's made me a little bit better. Like, I don't know how you could not wrestle for nine months and then come back and be better at wrestling than you were when you left. But that's certainly the case. And I think a lot of it was just like watching a lot of tape and like just by osmosis absorbing because like, you're not just absorbing like the move you're absorbing, like the positioning in the ring, you're absorbing footwork, you're absorbing selling, you're absorbing like bumping, like all of it. You're like taking all that in when you're watching, even if it's subconsciously. Right. So Mm -hmm. like, I do think that even though there's not a physical training element to watching tape, if you watch enough tape, like you will start to like reflect, it will reflect in your own performance. Like you will be tighter. It's a thing. Like it's definitely a thing. I cannot explain to you how it works, but I do think that it's a thing. (laughs) So, I mean, you, it's clear, like listening to you talk, you clearly really love the business. You know, there's some people that get into wrestling because they think they're going to make money. You know, they want to be famous, whatever. But like, Dude, if I you mean, just like want to make money, let, let me tell you, as someone with like an actual job outside of wrestling, if you just want to make money, there are way easier ways to make a bag of money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, yeah, I mean, you're love for the business. It, it, com- <laughs> it comes through like you do the podcast with Pro Wrestling Illustrated, Pro Wrestling uh, Indie Straight. Oh, I love it. I love right? that I get so, to do that and like highlight different parts of independent wrestling. It's yeah, best. it's a great, it's a great concept for a podcast. You guys recently were covering Alaska, I believe, <laughs> on there. Yep. And, and you've been you've been on David Bixenspan's podcast between the sheets. Oh, I love doing that sometimes. too. Yeah, yeah we did I mean, 1999. Is... We watched uh, Hardcore Heaven '99 for that episode, which was a, was was a great little ECW pay per view right on the tail end there. I believe it was like yeah. Chris Candido's last appearance in ECW too. Yeah, we had a great mm-hmm. time talking about that. I love yeah. love doing that type of deep dive stuff. I think it's really cool and special. I love what they do with that podcast too. Oh yeah, it's it's fantastic. We reference it once in a while on our, on our pod, mm-hmm. and we do a like a monthly retro show. We just did one actually on Anarchy Rules '99, just like nice. a week ago. <laughs> yeah, so there's the tie-in. But um, yeah, we do those retro shows for a Patreon supporters. So maybe we'll have to have you on that sometime. I would love to an old show. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun. Um, and you know, like I referenced earlier, the tape you had the other day of the Liger and Sasha <laughs> matches and everything. Uh, so let me ask, what what is your wrestling comfort food? Like, do you have a favorite era or like promotion? I mean, if I you have, were like, watch stuff I watch day. all the time that are like comfort matches, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. love watching like the the Eddie Guerrero Dean Malenko two out of three falls match from ECW TV, mm. August mm-hmm. nineteen ninety five. If you want to find it on the network, um, I love the Michinoku Pro Masked Man tournament from nineteen ninety five too. I'm a big Jerry Lynn fan. Oh, yeah. um, what else do I like to watch that I really just absolutely love? I-, I love to watch like the TPI from 2004 and 2003. Those are like very much comfort shows for me that I enjoy so very, very much. Um, what else is like comfort wrestling that I watched? I've seen a thousand times. I could watch a thousand and one times. I never get tired of it. There's a match from Noah that's like Kenta versus Marafuji for the world championship. And I love that match too. I just can't remember the exact date on it, but I have it in my YouTube thing that nice. I watch all the time. Yeah. I love that match. Um, I love watching, Jeez, oh, there's so much stuff. I love watching. So my comfort, this is going to be very out of left field, but like my comfort go to watch any promotion is I love El Dorado. Are you familiar with El Dorado? Yeah, I love (laughs) watching El Dorado tape from like 06 and 07. I just love it is the absolute like best variety show in professional wrestling. Like they have everybody like 
It's so cool. And it kind of, it's interesting. It's like GCW is like a big variety show, right? Like they do like mm. the death match. They do tag. Now they do women's matches. They cover all the bases, but like El Dorado was one of the first promotions that started just doing like the true variety show. Like they'd be like, Oh, we have all of these crazy, like junior heavyweights. Like here's Taiji Ishimori killing it. Oh wait, here's June Kasai doing a death match at the same show. Oh wait, yeah. have some Brahmin brothers. You know, like it, it's just <laughs> like uh, you know, you're like you're like Sugawara, he's here too. Like it, it just had everything, and I just love that. I love the variety in that promotion. Um, yeah, kind of falls in like a really interesting pocket, like so, like the end of the Dragon Door project, but before like Dragon Gate USA really took off. Uh-huh. So it's just a really cool, interesting time in professional wrestling. It's like I love watching that, or like even like some Zero One from that time period is like very much like comforting for me. Like, oh yeah, I love Hidaka and Fujita. Um, Definitely pioneers when it comes to tag team wrestling. I think a lot of people these days do a lot of their crap and have no idea that's where it came from. So, right. Yeah. I'm going to like not I, be a nerd anymore. I'm going to rein it in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love it. Cause like, I, you know, um, you have such a vast knowledge of the wrestling industry outside of like what American fans would think of as the mainstream, right? Like everything you went through yeah. there, you would have to be. Deep oh, I love, um, I love watching Negro Navarro too. Like I could watch Negro Navarro do Yave all day. Like that's, that's another like comfort yeah. wrestling thing for me. You know, I've been in the house when like the YouTube history comes up and it's like, who's watching <laughs> Nicker Navarro matches? Your friends I, uh, come over like, what is, what is going on here? Yeah. yeah. Is you, know, you give somebody a remote and you're like, put on wrestling. Like most people are going to put like something on, on the network or whatever. Right. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. nah, I really, I'm really in the mood for some Nicker Navarro today. Let's go. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> and hey, women's wrestling too. I mean, it's changed a lot just during the mm-hmm. time from like, when you were becoming a fan, obviously to now, uh, yeah. you know, like on the WWE side, you know they they were late to the party, but they were having the women's revolution eventually. I mean, Impact had a focus on solid having a solid women's division for many years. Uh, of course, Japan before any of them. I mean, what do you, what do you think? I love uh, some of the women's all Japan and like the the Arisan matches are awesome. Like watching yeah. Aja Kong and like watching Mariko Yoshida. Mariko Yoshida is one of my favorites as well. I think she's an incredible performer and like just super underrated. Definitely yeah. check her out. What do, so what do you think then are kind of like the most critical moments for the perception of women's wrestling kind of changing in the U.S.? Because like I mentioned, like globally, it, it already kind of happened, especially in Japan. But uh, like changing the perception to American fans of what women's wrestling could be and should have been all along. Like, what do you think are the critical moments that made that happen here? I honestly, this is going to be a very interesting take that is not a in-ring take at all. But Mm -hmm. I think what needed to happen for there to be a stronger focus on women's wrestling in America is more women needed to get into watching wrestling. Like there's most wrestling fans are dudes. Like it's, it's, that's, it is what it is. There was no real impetus for women to watch wrestling for a very, very long time um, until Total Divas. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many people and even like women wrestlers that I have met that their entry point into wrestling was watching Total Bellas or Total Divas. And, you know, there's always been women who are great wrestlers like Luna Vachan or like China or like even like Trish and like Lita and like the Attitude Era girls. Right. Like there's it's always been a thing. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that that platform just made it so much more accessible to women. It was shown on E! after the Housewives shows. Like, it was literally put in front of women for the first time in some different... And it wasn't, like, in ring, but it made women aware that there were women who wrestle. You know, like, oh, wait, yeah. these girls actually wrestle? Like, and, and, you know, everybody can have their big debate about, like, the quality and all that other crap. Like, who cares? The, the, the overarching thing here is those shows served as an entry point for female fans that didn't exist before. So you have this huge influx of women that are now like interested in professional wrestling. And then obvi- I'm assuming somebody in the marketing department at WWE was like, oh, wait, maybe we should start like giving them some women's wrestling, you know, like because mm-hmm. they watch the divas and they watch the Bellas and like maybe we can get them to watch the program, too. And I, I do think that that was largely responsible for creating a whole generation of wrestling fans that are women that have now evolved into actually appreciating the in-ring performance. I do think that was a turning point. Um, And and people might disagree with me on that. It is what it is. But I think to sit here and feel how you want to feel about the Bellas or feel how you want to feel about Total Divas, like what they did for women's wrestling and the sense of creating an accessible entry point is like 
you can't deny that. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, 100%. Uh, when they announced them for the Hall of Fame, there was like all this debate going on. And I said on our first podcast right after that, that like, you have to be crazy to not think the Bellas don't belong in the Hall of Fame just because yeah. of what they did for women's wrestling. Like, I'm not saying they're yeah, the As far as like workers. in-ring pioneers, yeah. I would definitely say somebody more like Paige or like Tennille, yeah. right? Like they were yeah. on the forefront of the in-ring side of it. But like creating the entry point, yep. total total divas, man. Like there are so many women out there that like have never watched a day of wrestling in their lives, but like no total divas. Mm-hmm. And because of that, maybe they did start watching wrestling and then maybe yep. they did start becoming fans. And then maybe they did yeah. start cheering for women like Paige, who's like a total ass kicker, right? So <laughs> right. it is. It's like it, it is a it's like domino effect almost, you know? Yep. Yeah, no, they totally, I mean, they opened the door for a lot of people mm-hmm. and raised awareness of the product. And I agree. They brought in a lot of people who maybe would have never ever been interested in it. And now, you know, they're going to the shows and they're tuning in and they're they, they kind of just like open Pandora's box for some people, you know, like just yeah, there this used is to what be this like crazy a joke. business is like. Yeah, there used to be this like running joke, like with the boys back in the day where it's like, oh, there are no hot girls at wrestling shows. If there's a hot girl in the wrestling show, she's either trying to be a wrestler herself or it's somebody's girlfriend. But it's Uh like now, like even when you go to independent shows, you see groups of women out enjoying wrestling like they would go enjoy a concert or they would go enjoy a nightclub or they would go enjoy a movie together like it's it's something women do together in groups now as attend professional wrestling and i think that's so cool because like when we were going when i was in college they were like why are these girls here (laughs) you know like yeah and it's like it's good the perception has shifted you know like that you know, it's like, oh, what, what's what are these girls doing here? That I love that women feel empowered to come out and attend professional wrestling in groups and support it as fans. I think that's yeah. awesome. And that they're not just going to be like, oh, somebody's girlfriend or, oh, she's got to be a wrestler because why else would she be here? You know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, I know. I mean, change the perception. That's what it's all about. Yeah, it so. is a huge change in perception. Um. Now, you mentioned to Neil, you're going to be wrestling her at the end of the month, right? A triple threat in St. Such Louis? an honor. Yes. Yeah. Tell us about that match. Uh, well, that's going to be like a whole new new thing for me, right? Because like I've had a couple of matches with Blair Onyx at this point. I'm kind of smartened up to the spider ways. Got some <laughs> tricks in my bag for her. But like Tennille, I've never wrestled before. So it's like kind of going in, not blind per se, but it's like, all right, how am I going to work around this? How am I going to come out victorious here? You know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like an interesting blend of like, this is an opponent that I've had many times over versus this is an opponent I've never had. And not only have I never had this opponent, but this is a very experienced, decorated, tenured opponent that Mm. um, will certainly be a challenge. But I am so looking forward to that. That's kind of like my big match back. I've worked a couple of shows here and there leading up to my comeback. But like, that's the kickoff at Grandel on the 22nd in St. Louis. And I'm so excited. Like, I, I can't imagine having like my first like big match back anywhere else with any other people like it's so exciting and it does feel like accumulation of all this hard work i've put in for the past 10 months will finally be hitting its apex at that show so that that's like the kaya mckenna comeback tour kickoff date there yeah. like the, the first date right i'm so excited sure. well maybe you can get some tips on uh working against Tennille from becky lynch we know she's down in your area have you had a chance to work with becky like training at all I was going to ask you that earlier and I forgot. I personally have not because I was out for like months with an injury, but I do know she is very, very good about giving insight and working with the other girls here in the school. So maybe one day that would be really, really cool. Yeah. She's, she's incredible. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, like Seth's cool, but like Becky's just awesome. Like she's so cool. Like, and just somebody who has truly just worked so very hard and is so talented and is finally getting their flowers and their roses and you love to see it. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, she's, she's very like, and obviously under, it's not her wrestling school. She's under no obligation to give any of us a second of her time. Right. She's always very giving with her time. She always takes questions from us. She takes questions from the students. Um, she has worked with some of the other girls here. So that's really nice. I, I think that's awesome that she's just so willing to do that and give back to women's wrestling in that capacity. That's awesome. Great opportunity for you to, you know, to learn mm-hmm. everything. So like I said, I always think, I think it's cool too. Cause like I said, you know, she's not really necessarily under any obligation to like help any of us or answer any questions from these kids, but she always does with a smile on her face and she always has such insightful advice. It's, it's really yeah. nice having her. Yeah. Very cool. 
Well, we will we'll stay tuned for that big match at the end of October. Everyone can check that out. You got anything else in the works that you can tell our listeners about? And where can they find you? Just get ready to kick off my comeback tour. It starts with Grand Isle Wrestling on the 22nd. Um, from there, I'll be at Pro Wrestling Vibe in Washington, D.C. on November 6th. I will be at Capital Combat Wrestling in Houston, Delaware on the 12th. I will be at Invictus Pro Wrestling in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey on the 13th. I will be doing Wrestling Open on November 11th and 17th up in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, I will be at AAW in November as well in Chicago. So I'm going to be all over. Please come out and see me. On social nice. media, my handle is at Kaya MCK, so K-A-I-A-M-C-K, and that's across all platforms. Um, you can find me at that handle. Just try to make it easy for everybody. Very cool. Well, it's awesome to see you getting uh, involved in wrestling again. Uh, like you said, your bookings are going to be very, very busy over the next couple of months, and hopefully it stays that way, and we will be Staying tuned to your wrestling career because I think big things are in the future. I wish you nothing but the best of luck. And I appreciate you taking the time to come on Top Rope Nation, talk a little wrestling. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. It was a great conversation. It was really nice just kind of like not only talk about like my career and what I'm doing, but also like nerd out about how great professional wrestling is yes. for a little bit. So I appreciate the uh, the blended interview there. It was wonderful. Yeah, no problem. I really enjoyed it. So hopefully we'll talk to you again in the future. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you.